This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone. I'm Bev Jones, and this is Just About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. Today, we'll be talking about huge business trends related to the world of sports. Our guest is Jackie Rowe. She's the CEO of Game Day Communications. That's a strategic communications and crisis management firm located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Jackie will tell us about billion-dollar developments related to the business of sports, including eSports, the 2026 World Cup, and sports betting. She'll also tell us about how she created her innovative career path, and she'll offer tips for people thinking about finding jobs related to professional sports. Jackie, thank you so much for being here with me today, and I'm really excited to hear about all the things you've been doing. I know that there are a lot of challenges now for everybody, but I must say, your job sounds like so much fun. Uh, Could you tell us about... Um, game day and what you do? Sure. Good afternoon. We uh, Game day is a, a media and marketing agency. We're based in Cincinnati and we were started in 2002. My business partner, Betsy Ross, she was uh, at ESPN on the air and I was at the Cincinnati Art Museum and we had known each other for years. Uh, she was a local TV anchor and I had first gotten my start um, after graduated from Ohio University in healthcare. So we had known each other for 10 years or so. And we started talking about a sports agency based in Cincinnati that uh, really could help sport organizations, nonprofits, hospitality, entertainment groups um, get their word out through public relations, through marketing, through now, of course, social media, influencer relations. So we're a small boutique firm. Mostly we work in the Midwest and we work on a number of events um, that you might have heard on heard of called you know, Flying Pig Marathon, Cincinnati's Marathon. It's one of the top 10 largest road races in America. Uh, the Western and Southern Open Tennis Tournament in Mason, Ohio. Um, we, we do probably 30 to 40 events a year uh, around the Midwest where we're either planning them, we're staffing them, or we're promoting them. It sounds like you're going into all kinds of... Um new directions as well. Now, can I, can I just ask, how have you um, been keeping busy since the start of COVID-19? Yeah, that's a great question, Bev. I have never worked harder in my 25-year career than since March 12th. And uh, I've literally been keeping a day-by-day diary because no one will believe me in 10 years, <laughs> maybe even five years, that this happened. And, you know, we work with a lot of restaurants, so we had to close down those restaurants March 15th. We're now just opening them up. So everything from how to message that to customers, to uh, employees, um, to media. Um, a lot of our, uh, our customers, our clients are um, very well known in the Cincinnati area. So we were able to leverage them for TV interviews and media opportunities Um, So we have really, you know, the term pivot is used a lot and I'm kind of growing um, less and less fond of that word, almost as much as the word cancellation. 
And um, it's, it's really just helping our clients navigate through this, um, trying to help them maintain revenue, and then how to communicate that. I noticed when I was um, looking at your website, uh, just to find a little bit more about the um, company, that crisis management is part of the things that you do. So I, I guess you're just getting that much more experience on crisis now. <laughs> yeah, good point. We, uh, you know, again, I started my career in healthcare, so every day was a potential crisis, you know, at a hospital. And um, yeah, we definitely have have uh, improved our game on crisis communications. I'll, I'll tell you that because when Governor DeWine or Governor Bashir in Kentucky would hold um, their daily news conferences, literally I would sit there with a pep, you know, paper and pen to say, okay, what's coming today? Because we didn't know if restaurants were going to open or close or what a new order might be that would affect our, our clients. So literally we created on March 12th, our team of 12, we created rapid response teams. And what that means is we were just monitoring everything that was coming down from the federal government, the state, the local, and how that might affect our clients. So we could inform them and then we could help them communicate properly. Well, I imagine uh, you're going to be busy in this way for a while, but uh, what I really wanted to talk about is, is more about over the next few years, because it looks like you're going into some... Um, really interesting business lines, or you're already involved, I guess you'll get deeper in them. Early in January, you wrote a great article about three huge billion-dollar industries that are going to um, really take off over the next few years. Can you tell us a bit about those three industries and um, how the how the money part works, but also just what's involved in each of these phenomena. Sure. Yeah, back in January, yes. the good old days, right? Where all, all about was, should I wear a heavy coat or not? <laughs> so, you know, I, I really started looking at um, $3 billion industries to watch. You know, as a new decade, um, you know, we, we turned the page on a new decade like we did in 2020. I really started to see opportunities. Uh, I'm an adjunct professor at University of Cincinnati and Xavier University, and of course, a good friend to Ohio University where I'm an alum. So I, I talk to a lot of students regularly and other faculty members. And when you start to think about what's next for sports, these are really the three areas where I think what's next. And by what's next is um, what they are, the jobs they bring, the potential revenue they bring to not only companies, but government through tax base, and then just the, the new innovations that surround these. So the first one that I, I talked about was sports betting. So this is really, um, this was uh, legalized by the federal government uh, a couple years ago now. So 17 states have legalized sports books. So that means you can go into a casino um, or a, a racetrack, and you can place a bet on a football game, similar to what you might have done in Las Vegas for many, many years. But now you can do it in Indiana, say. We have another 22 states who are formalizing their plans. And, you know, it's one of those things where you may be for betting, you may be against it, your personal um, interests are, you know, certainly your own. But I think the money that, that is coming into these states and to the federal government 
is huge. So legal sports betting is expected to contribute over $22 billion to the U.S. GDP. And that's huge, right? Especially now when we see trillions of dollars going out with um, payroll protection plans. And then when you when you drill down to state and local um, impacts, and this is a tax impact, states will see billions of dollars in new revenue. So I think it's a, you know, certainly it's an entertainment option, but it's also a huge revenue opportunity. It's quite different from um, your next, the next one in your article, um, and, and that's esports, which I know very little about. Can, can you tell us what esports are and how they are as a, um, a pastime, but also a huge business? Yeah, esports uh, again. It's uh, esports is really the competitive video gaming, if you will. And you know, many people are starting to roll their eyes when I talk about it right now. But again, another billion dollar industry. And during the pandemic, when we've been sheltering in place, video game uh, video game play has gone through the roof, as you can imagine. And so, esports really, when you're looking at okay, what does that that money or that revenue or the gaming experience look like? A couple things. Um, number one, the game developer, right? So you've got dozens of games out there. You might have the most popular ones you might have heard of, Call of Duty, League of Legends, Fortnite. Um, of course, NBA 2K, they have theirs. NFL has Madden, um, FIFA, uh, for the soccer fans. So esports has really been gaining in popularity, not only in terms of play, but streaming. So when you look at um, a Twitch or a YouTube, these popular gamers, call them professional esport athletes, are streaming their live gameplay on a Twitch, and millions of people are watching them, just like they might watch an NFL game or a Major League Baseball game. So hundreds of millions of people around the world are playing video games at a really competitive level. And it's, I think it's an, exciting, um, it's an exciting, innovative new way to engage our next generation because they've, they've grown up knowing video games. And now there's, there's jobs, there's opportunities for them, whether they're developing the games, they're working events, um, they might be working on the marketing side. So it's, a, it's an exciting new time for this generation to really take it to the next level as uh, a new employment opportunity. Well, I'm, I want to hear more about jobs, but um, that's tied into another question I had is I've noticed universities or some universities are really tuning into esports, mm-hmm. both as a, a competitive uh, sport for their students, but also because of those jobs is a, a career um, path and, and they're developing curriculum. Can you, can you talk a little bit about the kinds of jobs and the kind of curriculum that um, students might be preparing for? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually leading an advisory group for Ohio University that is a cross-functional group where we're bringing together faculty and staff and students to talk about what does this look like? What does esports look like for Ohio University? And I will tell you, we have the ear of the president, President Nellis. He's very interested in how esports can can not only bring the community together, but teach students uh, and engage them and excite them. And so, what we're looking at is how to best support the Bobcat Esports Club. 
which right now is a, a intramural club, if you will, not not at the varsity level. It is the largest club on campus with almost 300 students and also one of the largest clubs in all of the Mid-American Conference, which is really cool. And so these these kids, I've met with them several times. They're amazing. Um, they're They're very smart. They're very much into it. And they just completed a research study that they presented to our group about a month ago. And basically their research findings, um, the result was about 75%, if not higher, of the campus at Ohio University, so those students who are in Athens, are gaming at some level. They might not be at the most competitive level, but they're, they're tuning into Twitch or YouTube. They are, they're playing on their Nintendo, um, their PlayStation. So um, the interest is certainly there. So from, from our standpoint, you know, it's how do you use eSport as a curriculum? So we've got a certificate program going where uh, students can really understand the business side of eSport and what that looks like. So, you know, where can they find jobs? If it's, you know, running events, if it's marketing, if it's development, uh, it might be healthcare. You know, it might be um, something along the lines of um, really just general um, eSport management. Uh, a lot of these professional athletes are making millions of dollars playing esports. So wow. I think the university is really smart to be on the forefront of this and how to leverage the great academic programs already in place around the esport phenomenon. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Masters in Public Administration or environmental studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash school. Now I have a, a different question. I refer to the, um, the top tier of gamers as athletes and mm-hmm. um, I think that some Athletes don't like to hear esports described as um, having athletes. What what's that controversy? And would you say the top players really are athletes? And how? Yeah, you know it's a common debate, Bev. So um, great question. And you know, not only do esport athletes have precise motor skills and incredible hand-eye coordination, oftentimes they have the heart rate of a marathon runner. Right. When they're in live action, if they're playing, you know, first person shooter game or if they're, you know, another genre is Battle Royale, you know, they're in the heat of the competition. And I think to tell the um, these gamers they're not athletes, you'd get a strong, <laughs> strong reaction um, to that. I'll also tell you the the athletes at the highest level who are competing internationally, um, they are they are living their life just like a professional athlete with personal trainers, nutritionists. Um, they've got a regimen. 
where they might be gaming, um, practicing for up to eight hours, you know, they're eating healthy, you know, they're not just living their life on Red Bull and Cheetos, but they are really living a healthy life so they can be at their best level. So just like with any other sport, the athletes who are disciplined and who are playing at a high level are not the same as people who are lounging around their house and dabbling. (laughs) Exactly. You know, I have a fun story. So um, right before Christmas, I went down to the Dallas Cowboys uh, practice facility where their um, e-sport team, so Dallas Cowboys um, Enterprises, has um, an e-sport team called Team Complexity. And they have a a great state-of-the-art facility where they train, they compete, and they have access to the Dallas Cowboys workout room. And one of the stories that um, the gentleman who was touring us was saying is one of the the esport coaches for NFL, the NFL game called Madden, he was approached by the Dallas Cowboys, the football coaches on the offensive side to say, hey, here's our playbook. Can you go through it? And under the lens of how you play Madden, can you make sure we didn't forget any plays? Wow. That's (laughs) the the Dallas Cowboys were asking the esport athletes, hey, make sure our playbook's in sync with what, you know, is going on with Madden, because that is football at the highest level in terms of all the plays and and um, what's going on during the game. Well, speaking of football and another kind of football, yeah. um, your, your third big, huge um, industry, although I had never thought about it as an industry, but it certainly sounds like it is, is um, World Cup 2026. Can you tell us about that and what it'll mean for in terms of jobs and economic impact for the United States. Yeah. So for the first time ever, uh, the United States, Mexico, and Canada have put together a United bid to go after hosting FIFA world cup. So, you know, you've seen, um, you've seen France, you've seen Russia, you've seen um, Germany, um, South Africa host world cup, right? So, we haven't seen uh, a World Cup in the U.S. Well, the women's, um, what, 20 years ago. So this United bid uh, came together uh, really well, and we won it. And so what that means is 2026, so what, six years ago, six years from now, we will have matches throughout Canada, United States, and Mexico. And the reason that bid was so attractive to FIFA organizers was we have world-class stadiums. You know, when they go to, um, you know, a a Germany or even a, you know, another country, usually you've got to build those stadiums. And so the expenses are monumental. But in the United States and our our neighboring countries, we've got world class um, stadiums. So we are still in the decision point. Um, the, The sites in Mexico and Canada have been set. U.S. is probably will make its decision on what the host cities will look like, I'd say in the next year and a half. So obviously with COVID, things are on delay. But again, another opportunity for huge revenue, jobs, um, new community building, legacy projects that a World Cup will bring. So there was an economic impact study that the United Bid Committee, so that's all three countries put together, and basically hosting World Cup in North America in 2026 could create more than $5 billion in economic activity, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, that's, that's an astonishing number. We're not talking about the whole 
um, world of the sport, we're talking about World Cup 2026, and that's what it's related to. Yeah, just that, just that one um, World Cup 2026, right? That one experience, and it's really, it's really interesting because the host cities, they could. It depends on you know what matches they're hosting from you know semifinals to finals or whatever. But the host cities themselves could see 160 million to upwards of 600 million in incremental economic activity. That sounds really exciting. And I, I, those are three very different kind of trends you follow. It, it feels like um, you must keep a pretty good eye on evolving sports. I got a couple of questions. One is, how do you keep track of so many things? And the other is, um, for people who might be interested in a job like uh, yours, what what should they start keeping track? How do you start developing broad sports expertise like you have? Yeah, I, I'm a reader, so I love to read. I probably, I don't know, in the morning before I even, you know, get up for the day, I've probably read 20, 30 things, but I, I kind of, you know, I curate my reading. So, um, you know, Sports Business Journal is a great resource. Um Local business journals that have a sports business bent are terrific. Wall Street Journal, I think, has a great sports business bent and a sports bent. But also, uh, we work with a group called Sports ETA, and they're the the nation's governing body for the sports, tourism, and events um, groups. So this might be events rights holders like the United States Olympic Committee. It might be destinations like Pensacola Sports. Uh, It might be um, allied vendors like game day, like our company. So about, Oh, a thousand or so come together annually for a symposium. And and that's really where I'd say I spot a lot of trends because there's just really dynamic programming in, in education. But, um, you know, now during these, this time of COVID, I mean, you really could be sitting on a webinar a day and they're all free. And so I literally look at, um, sports techie and sports impact tracker and really, um, those sites that aggregate the news. And then I think what, you know, I think what you have to do is put a business lens over that. So, yes, yeah, sports seems sexy and fun and exciting. Yet, you know, there's a lot of hours. You're working weekends. You're working Friday nights. So, you know, there's, there's a little um, balance there. And I would say anyone who wants to get into the field is really start focusing. You know, what, where's your passion? What sport is your passion? What city do you want to live in? And really make sure you follow your passion or your interest of where you want to live, work, and play. And start making connections. You know, start um, emailing somebody and say, hey, do you have 10 minutes for a a phone interview? I just want to learn more about your role um, so I can further my career. And and most people are willing to do that. I know I am. And I think um, we've all been there, especially starting out with a new career. And so anything I can do to help, you know, pay it forward to the next generation, I'm happy to. Well, it feels like there are a lot of different professional routes into the the broad business spectrum, communication being one, I guess, mm-hmm. um, sports businesses need the same kinds of skill sets, whether it's accounting or project management. So it feels like um, you could start from a number of places. Can you tell us how you got started toward a a career in sports? Yeah. So like I said, I started out in healthcare and then I moved into museum marketing and, you know, my mom was always taking me to the Toledo art museum, which I love. 
And so I always had an interest in museums. And so when that job came open, that was pretty exciting. And I was there five years. And when I turned 30, I had the aha moment that I wanted to work in sports, sports media. And I love living in Cincinnati. So of course I looked at the Reds, I looked at the Bengals and I said, those are great jobs. Those guys are going to die in their chairs. Uh, Rob is still at the Reds and uh, Jack just retired from the Bengals. So that was 18 years ago. Well, almost 20. So uh, Betsy and I, my colleague, we started looking around saying, nobody's really doing sports as an agency in town. So somebody might have a client here or there, but nobody was focusing on it. So we put a business plan together on actually the back of a cocktail napkin. And I wish I still had that cocktail napkin, but I don't. And of course, that business plan is completely irrelevant today. But it, it did give us focus that it was sports and entertainment and people know us for that. So they come to us for that expertise. And I, I hope to think that we try to stay innovative and creative and, and customer centric as best we can and, and over deliver. But I would say to anyone starting out or wanting to switch careers is just start networking, you know, go to the events start volunteering at sports events, you know, every sport event in America will take volunteers if they can. And then the last thing I would say is in this, you know, recovery mode, there are new positions coming out of this. So, you know, um, I was just talking to a gentleman yesterday, uh, fellow Ohio alum, and they have an environmental engineer on their team. There are sports uh, facilities group. And basically, he's helping lead the recovery mode for sports facilities. So where do the hand sanitizers go? Who gets their temperature checked? How many masks do we need? So that entire COVID recovery plan um, is really interesting and so important. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Everybody is going to need um, the same kind or similar kinds of preparation for operating um, in different ways, whether it's um, whether it's sports or um, tracking stock. I mean, people are going to, to need um, new skills. So there are a lot of opportunities. Yeah, you, I have to say be open to them. You know, yeah. you, at first you've got to spot them and see what they are. And then you've got to learn about them and become knowledgeable and, and these days very quickly. And, and then be open to new opportunities and, and new ways to think about your business. Well, I think so. But uh, let me ask just one final question. I'm, I'm thinking about um, college students who um, still have choices about what kind of courses they're going to take, although they may not know whether they're going to be doing it virtually or on campus. And, and also recent college grads who um, may be thinking um, in new directions about how they want to start a career. Uh, do you have any suggestions about courses or online training or things that people uh, can do to prepare themselves as, at the same time that they're networking and starting to volunteer and things like that? What kind of substantive courses are out there for sports administration and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, the first thing that came to mind as you were asking the question was um, always stay a student. You might've just graduated. You might be out a couple of years. You might be out 30 years like me. I, I always try to stay a student. So I, yesterday, for instance, I just finished a four part 
certificate on sport innovation. And basically it was four programs that I um, sat in on a webinar and, you know, I have a ton of notes from it, pages of notes. I'm like, Ooh, I got to do this. I got to do that. You know? So I would say always stay a student with webinars. So many are free. I would, you know, the, it sounds simple, but it's not is just stay, stay up to date with your local news. You know, what's happening in your community. Um, you know, if you want to be in sports, you better know that MLB, um, is having a heck of a time right now negotiating when they're going to return because of player salary. You know, the MLS might move their entire season to Orlando as, as the NBA. So you've got to stay abreast of what's happening in the world of sports. Not only, you know, who scored 32 points last night, but what the business of that looks like. And, you know, I always tell my students when, you know, if you're riding in the elevator up to, you know, the interview, do you want to talk about the weather or do you want to talk about the 3% increase that the team had in attendance last year? And why do you think it, that was the case, right? So do your research, know the facts behind the sports, and then always stay a student, be inquisitive, be curious, you know, ask the right questions. And that will only certainly engage who you're speaking to, but I believe your resume will surface to the top of the pile. Jackie, I, I, um, couldn't agree with you more. As a coach, anytime I'm talking with somebody who's feeling like they're stuck and they're um, down in the dumps or whatever, the, the quick answer is always learn something new. That's mm -hmm. always the way to get some action when you need it is um, if you don't know what else to do, learn something and that'll yeah. take you some. Yeah. You know, another thing, Bev, I always say turn the tables on the job search. And, you know, back in the day, I would go to um, the library at Ohio University on a Sunday and I'd pull out the, you know, the classifieds. <laughs> Those days are over, thank God. Um, so, you know, turn the tables on the job search. What I mean there is, okay, where are the 10 places you want to work? And you really start building mini plans of engagement to get to the decision maker of those places, right? So if it's, you know, if it's 10 baseball teams across America and you want to work in marketing or game day promotion, who's the VP of marketing, right? So you've got his or her name, you link in with them, you ask them for a phone call, you start following what they're doing. Um, you know, if you're in, in their city, you know, after travel restrictions lift, you might say, hey, can I stop by for 10 minutes and bring you a cup of coffee? And so you really make your universe smaller and you're really focused on those people. And that just gives you the ammunition and the education to ask the right questions, be engaged, know when their, their hiring cycle is, you know, what's that time timing where they're hiring people. Uh, and, and I think it just, it makes the, it makes the job search more enjoyable for you and, and maybe not so um, pessimistic. Yes, that's great advice, and LinkedIn is a great help with that kind of approach. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for um, all your good advice and your information, and I feel like I'm a little bit enlightened now about sports trends, which is not my strong suit, so now I feel better about it. Thank, thank you, you very much. Today we've been talking with Jackie Rowe, CEO of Game Day Communications, about huge trends in the world of sports. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. 
Today's career tip is that building your writing and other communication skills is a terrific way to find your path into any kind of industry, whether it's sports or the tech sector. Thanks for joining us today. I wish you well, and I hope you'll keep building your resilient career. Thank you.